0: Hello and welcome to the Boss Podcast, where every week we dive into reels and reels of talks from the past decade of Boss Conferences and revisit some ever-relevant topics. I am Kirk Bailey and this is Episode 71, Hardwiring Sales Into Your Organisation, with Paul (laughs) Kenney. Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Paul Kenny has been developing salespeople for over 30 years. He set up his first training company largely out of frustration at not being able to find the right training for his own sales team, training that was immediately useful and would stick. Paul trained salespeople in media, technology, medical, engineering, education and professional service sectors and helped to train the sales team at Redgate Software and Stack Overflow during their early growth phase. Having a dialogue with your customer is worth so much more to you and your business than anything else. And the most important thing that you need to know is how to work out what your sales proposition is, what your story is, because with a story you can engage and talk to people This talk from BossConf USA looks at the reason you should be talking to your clients, not just emailing them, not just blogging at them. The reason you should be talking to your clients is because they each have their own unique way of describing a
1: problem. Happy listening. That the customer experience um, is the most important thing. It's not what we do, it's the customer's experience of what we do that really, really matters. The stuff you do while you're a two-, three-, four-person company will become part of your cultural DNA. And that really grabbed me because I think you have a unique opportunity as founders to hardwire brilliant sales standards into your business, or you've got the opportunity to hardwire the programmer's contempt for salespeople into your business. And um, and you have at this stage you have a choice about what you what what you do, and um, uh, the 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 next kind of highlight from yesterday for me was um, was Molly the bear. Um, I was thinking you know if I had a little bit more time yesterday I was going to place an order to China I was going to order ten thousand. Molly the Bears. Um, I was going to sell them for $29 outside the door as you were all leaving. It was going to have a little tape recorder in it that was saying, I'm the customer, pay attention to me. And you could all take it back and sit it on your, uh, in your meeting room and, and pay attention to it. Now, I think this is really, really important because my talk today is going to be about dialogue, about the customer, the quality of the customer dialogue um, that, you, uh, that, that you have. Um, and then just to set me up nicely, um, Jason did one of the most amazing roasts of salespeople um, that I've heard in a, in a, a long while. Um, so thanks for that. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm going to talk about dialogue I'll, I'll, I'll go into that in a minute. But he raised a really important um, point which for, which for me um, it's so important. I'm going to take a little bit of time to, to talk about it before I get into my, my presentation um, proper. What he really said was that, you know, we haven't worked out a model for selling yet for this new generation of software founders and owners. And I think he's absolutely right. Um, he said that your, uh, your judgment is more important than any set of rules. And I think he's absolutely right. But I want to have a little conversation about Frank <laughs> before we, to, because <laughs> <laughs> you see, I'm worried I might be Frank, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, want to, I want to talk about Frank because this is really, this, this really hit home to me yes, yesterday during Jason's presentation. And, you know, I split my time between working for big companies, not just software, pharma, um, medical, media. You know, I, I work for, for, for big companies because, frankly, they pay the bills much better than you guys. But this business, founders, are my, they're, my, they're my passion. They absolutely, fa- yeah, absolutely fascinate me. And one of the inherent weaknesses I find, if I'm honest, I think links back to Neil's first question yesterday, when he said, you know, Will all the extroverts stand up or will all the introverts, you know, if you're an introvert, put your hand up and every, everybody did. A lot of founders in technical businesses cannot wait, absolutely cannot wait to offload the responsibility for talking to clients to somebody else. And therefore they become prime game for the Franks of this world. Now I'm going to just give you a health warning about Frank and the, the, the issue about Frank is not Frank, it's you guys. Frank is Frank. Frank started out in one of the big corporations. He, he would have started out in sales at Microsoft, say, or somewhere, uh, somewhere else. He would have started out in enterprise, um, in enterprise sales. Now, the thing about enterprise sales is it takes a year at least to get up and running before you start, you know, lead time is six months to a, a year. It then takes another year to, um, to kind of, you know, build some momentum. And at the end of that year, if you're not very good, it takes another year for your bosses to realize it. And then another year of employment law you know, and HR to get rid of those people. So it's not unusual that the Franks of this world have resumes that have three, four or five big companies uh, on them. They've always got a big deal that they've sold, you know, responsible for growing revenue from $25 million to $80 million in two weeks, you know, is, is always their, their claim. And the fact is, sometimes they did it, but they didn't do it because they were brilliant salespeople. They did it because they were working for Microsoft. They did it because they were working for huge brands that people know, need, love, respect, you know, what, what, whatever. It's not just Microsoft, by the way, to the Microsoft people in the room. You know, lots of, big, uh, lots of big organizations. And the Franks of this world can go through their career doing three or four of these, these, these jobs, sort of getting found out, sort of getting passed over, and moving on. Now, they're not bad people. They may work hard. Um, they may be able to play golf. There is an art to knowing which game people were talking about. Um, and, you know, especially when especially when you work in a global market, you know, and was this the Barcelona-Madrid game? Um, was this the, the Saints versus the Patriots? Was the, you know, who, who was it we're talking about? There's an, and, and there is a role for the, the people of Frank, people like Frank, but it's not often in companies like yours. And the reasons that Frank, the reason that Frank isn't right for you it's because they represent, if you like, an old sc- older school model. What Frank needs to be successful is a big, powerful brand. They need brilliant, big marketing behind them. They need big incentives and sales structures and training courses that take them away for weeks at a time um, to nice hotels in the country um, somewhere. Um, they need big expenses and they need big cars in order to be able to to do their job. And you need something different. But the reason that you're fair game is that eventually Frank's run out of places to to sell. Nobody else is buying their story. So what I find is a nice emerging tech company. And if I can find myself a CEO who's a coder um, who hates selling, um, I can play on that fear. And I can work myself into um, a job. I may even get 50% of the company if um, if uh, <laughs> if I'm lucky um, and then it becomes you have created a company that's an old style company rather than a company for now for the for the for the future. But all of this is not Frank's fault. Frank is doing what Frank needs to do. Frank is going out and earning a living and put food on the table um, for his family and trying to make the best of the world. And he's, and, and he's doing it often with the best of intentions. The issue is yours. The issue is I didn't have the backbone to go out and sell, to go out and talk to my um, customers. And I think, as uh, Jason proved yesterday, you know, he said, I'm not a salesman, but I was doing two demos a day after which people bought stuff. I don't know how your definition of it goes, but you know, it's getting close. It's getting close, um, it's getting close <laughs> for, uh, for me. So, um, so what I want to do is I want to talk about um, uh, uh, another, I'm going to have another sales rant. For those of you who are here in San Francisco last year and in, in Boston uh, in 2008, I kind of get up and I just have a bit of a rant about, about um, sales and why it's a lot easier for founders to accept the responsibility and accept that although it's a bit uncomfortable to talk to people, um, you know, that it's actually hugely beneficial. And in just the same way that you've got to learn marketing and you've got to learn finance and you've got to learn HR and hiring and firing and all those sorts of things, it's just another thing. And in fact, you know what, it's a lot easier than firing people. It's a lot more enjoyable. It's a lot more enjoyable than, you know, um, changing the, uh, the the pellets and the in the loose and all of those sorts of things. It, it, it's it's a it's a great part of the job because if you do it well, especially the stuff we're going to talk about today, it's a great validation of what you're you're doing. It's a validation of why you went into business in the uh, in the in the first place. So when I when I first Um, Came to speak here. I was incredibly nervous. I had no idea how a sales talk would go You know especially one that was ending a day that began with Seth Godin and you know I was really really um, uh, very nervous and my key message in case you weren't here or you haven't picked up the, the the video of that day i thought the most important thing to tell people on that day you know if i'm only going to get one chance because i if i'm honest i did not expect to be invited back and uh, I, I thought if i can only tell them one thing the one thing that you need to know i was going to say you know my big point was love your inner salesperson and then a couple of sub points things like just picking the low-hanging fruit through permission marketing is great if you can make lots of money at it. But it's not a complete strategy because just, I often think that you learn very little from the people who look at your product online, download it, go, wow, this is great, and send you um, a, a, a payment for $1,000. It's great, but you don't learn an awful lot about them. I think there's a lot more to learn from the people who download your software compare it against a couple of others, or even just try it, and kind of lose interest. Now, those people have got something to, t- to tell you. And so my big point in, in 2008 was just accept it, you know. Don't rail against it. What you're railing against is some ancient archetype or stereotype of salespeople, which doesn't help. I don't think they really exist um, anymore. If they do, it's only in the dark corners of the, um, of the, 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 the industry. And that sale, selling and sales function it is just about as good or as bad as you make it. So if you want your sales function to be based around your customer support people and your technical support people who will spend time talking about what people really need and then suggesting ways that you can... If that's how you want to do it and add real value that way, brilliant. That's the way to, to do it. If you need to put a guy in a suit because your clients are all lawyers and they will, you know, if some scruffy kid in... Um, you know a Megadeth t-shirt and uh, some some jeans with holes in it, it turns up they're not going to take him seriously hire a guy in a suit it's your judgment it's your call it's as good or as bad as you as, as you you make it last year when we were in, in Boston because as I said I didn't expect to be invited back but I, I was and so I thought okay well if that's not the most important thing that people know, this year I'm going to tell them the most important thing that they need to know. And the most important thing that you guys need to know is, how, is to how to work out what your sales proposition is, what your sales story is. Because if you can get a story and you can wrap it up and you can make it engaging then it's easy to use and to talk to people about. It just drops into the conversation. It's not a stilted sales conversation. It's not a question of pull the laptop out and let me tell you, Mr. Client, you know, the three pre, uh, pre prime benefits of working with. It's none of that sort of stuff. You engage people through a story. So I thought that was the most important um, thing. But then, of course, straight afterwards, a bunch of people um, came up and said, uh, but Paul, you know, that's great, but how do I know which stories to use? I've got loads of stories. So it occurred to me that this year, this is the most important thing <laughs> that you need to, to, to know. And, um, and my talk is about dialogue. It's about conversation. It's about creating a dialogue with your um, customers. Because it's really important to know which stories to tell your clients. How many people here when you've been on the buying end of of the equation have been bored to death by somebody's product demo? Doesn't say a lot for our industry does it? (laughs) (laughs) You know and the problem there is that you know people think okay a demo we start at the page, the opening page, the landing page, whatever, and I'm going to take you through everything this does, whether you like it or not, with a few little um, journeys, um, up some little side, I'm going to tell you some stories about the coding problems that we had, um, and I'm going <laughs> to you know. <laughs> and, and, the, and the client gets to the end, you know, sort of uh, exhausted by, by the experience. And the trick is to work out which stories are useful. Now, I just want to introduce you um, to someone. This is, uh, this is my son Tom Uh, on the one on the right, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but as you can see, he's a very imaginative character. Now, um, I really did want to go to the breakout, um, yes, I particularly wanted to go to the sales breakout yesterday, but it fell at bedtime back in Yorkshire. Um, so I went back to my room because Tom is very particular about the stories that he likes at night. So when I, when I travel, if I can get a break, um, I, will, I will call him and I'll, I'll tell him a, I'll tell him a, a story over the, the telephone. Now, he's very, very particular about the story. I, he doesn't like stories being read to him. They have to be made up. Okay? Anybody, any parents, have you been through this particular kind of torture? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so in order to make a story that will, that will um, engage him, um, I know that I have to include... Um, some of his favorite characters. So pretty much every story involves a trip to Bikini Bottom and a visit with with SpongeBob, whatever it is. Um, And also, his other favorite character is Horrid Henry, which if you don't have it over here, is very like Dennis the Menace, that sort of of character. So usually it involves Tom, SpongeBob, Horrid Henry, um, going out on an adventure. The adventure almost always includes zombies, for some reason, okay? (laughs) And, um, uh, but they've got to be kind of cartoon zombies. They can't be too scary because I want to get him to sleep, right? I don't want to give him nightmares. Um, so they're always cartoon zombies with a kind of slight comic um, element. And usually, he likes an alien or two thrown in there. Uh, and it usually involves some kind of um, invasion of Earth where a young boy called Tom um, with his close friends, SpongeBob and Horrid Henry, um, will, um, will take on the zombies and or the aliens. Um, Because they have to mix it sometimes to keep it interesting and and usually some deal is done where a um, Where where instead of having a major battle um, there will be a sporting challenge, which is usually soccer Um, and uh, Tom and his friends and Fernando Torres from Liverpool um, (laughs) Will take on will take on the um, will take on the might of um, uh, of the intergalactic forces of evil um, at football and in the last minute, Fernando Torres will twist his ankle, and it will all be down to Tom to save the, the, the world. Um, if there are any film producers in the audience, <laughs> anybody who knows a film producer, I think, I'm onto, um, I think I'm onto it. The point is, there are very few people that can tell Tom that, that story. And I couldn't tell, you know, that story wouldn't work for, uh, for your, your kids. I can tell that story to Tom because I've, know, I've known him since he was, he was born. I can tell that story because we sit and talk about all this stuff. I know what he, I know what he watches. Um, I know what he's interested in. I know what gets, gets him excited. I know what would be too scary. Um, and I, I know when to introduce a bit of humor, et cetera. And I don't think dealing with our customers is much different um, from that, if you take it um, seriously. Obviously, not the zombies and the aliens. Oh, maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so um, what I say to people is, you know, there are really only a few sales skills that really matter. This is why I can never quite get my head around why selling becomes such a big deal, even if people are largely introverted, even if they do like to, um, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to primarily code in a basement or, or, or whatever. Um, I, I, I struggle to see you know, why this is difficult because really all salespeople do, all the good ones I've ever worked with over the last 20 years or so, all they ever do Is they ask great questions they tell great stories and they put deals together which are attractive to the purchaser and that's it so we're going to talk about dialogue because this is where it all starts I know this is the last of three or maybe not the last I don't know um, but uh, maybe the last of three Um, we'll see how it goes Um, and uh, and when we get to when we get to Uh, uh, When we sit in front of a client, the most important thing is to make sure that we've got a dialogue. So that when we demo to a client, we can tell them about the stuff that's interesting um, to them. Um, When we send an email to a client, we can focus on the stuff that's worthwhile to them. When we blog for clients, uh, we can write about stuff that will engage their their, their interest. If you're not talking to clients, you're guessing when you're blogging, emailing, newsletters, white papers. You're guessing. You're hoping. You're working on rough sketches of what your clients are rather than real real clients. So the key message, and if you want to kind of, those of you who were drinking late last night, you can go to sleep after this slide, um, is, is that the quality of the dialogue that you put in to your sales transactions, your customer transactions, is directly proportional to the quality of your customer acquisition. And what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to first of all try and explain why that is the, the, the case. And then I'm going to try and explain just a few of the things that you can do as founders without having to put on a pinstripe suit or take up golf, um, to, to engage your customer uh, more effectively and get a better, a more mature understanding. Of what it is they really want from you. And when you can do that, I think there's some artistry in that. I think it's an important um, skill. So, the first reason you should do this is that dialogue builds rapport. And I guess I've been involved in sales and selling for 20 odd years Um, now, 20 uh, plus years. And for those of you who work in crowded marketplaces or in very specialist areas, you know this to be true. Sometimes it is really, really, really hard to develop the Purple Cow product, develop something that has so much extra value and utility that it, that it, it stands um, out. Or maybe because you work in a very complex market, much of the real utility of your, your products is all hidden away in the background, you've got to get right into the problem before it becomes aware that you before anybody becomes aware that you do really cool stuff. So when there's no difference, and I mean perceived difference, you may think there's massive differences between my products and everybody else's, but when the client's sitting there going, this looks a bit like this, looks a bit like, like, like this, what people will do is they will buy from the people that they like the most. Not in a squishy way, love your tie, buy your software sort of thing, um, but in a can I do business with these people sort of way? do I feel that these people are um, the, the sort of people who understand my my business it's not based on anything hard it's based on uh, a feeling. Yesterday, we said you know people buy from people they like and you know, they, they, they really do, um, and um, the reason that they do is uh, Because we're always interested in the people who are interested in us. And many of your clients, you know, I know there's a thing that people prefer to be emailed. We don't like to talk on the phone, you know, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. But that just doesn't ring absolutely true with the experience I've had working with startups and also working with some very big companies who sell to um, sell to so-called introverts or technical people. People just don't like talking to people generally. You know, about about nothing. But people like talking to people about stuff that's interesting. And they like talking to people who are interested in them. Now, most people here yesterday said, yeah, I'm an an introvert. So I take it that everybody went straight back to their room last night without talking to anybody, sat quietly, um, you know, punching in a bit of code. Of course you didn't. You went out, you talked to people, you built relationships. Um, and the, why do we build relationships because we found people who were interested in the same stuff as us and we found people who were curious about us um, and We enjoyed telling our story to to other people now if that's true of you It's true of everybody who's a bit like a, a bit like you the truth is we may not feel comfortable doing it but dialogue adds value and People like to be sold to in their own language. This is perhaps the most important reason why I would encourage every one of you to build a culture of talking to your customers um, all the time. And I'll just give you an example. This just one of those, you know, you have those moments when you set up a company um, that kind of really stick in your mind. And the first company I set up was a, a training company, Apex Training and Development. And our big deal was we were all from media backgrounds and we were going to sell <laughs> training services, training solutions. To people in the, in the media, and um, my, my co-founder Justin and I spent the first month trying to get appointments because it was the early '90s and that it that was old fashioned sales you had to hit the phone and you had to get to talk, try and get to talk to people and we were frankly we were getting nowhere and then a friend of a friend of a friend used a bit of leverage to get us into one of the kind of biggest business magazines, a global business magazine. I, I don't want to name names, but you know, um, people who are interested in economics might be interested in this particular, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, title. And, uh, and we went to it and we said and we said, you can cut. And this guy said, all right, I'll see you. I'll, I will, I will see you. Um, and, um, he, he, he got his secretary to ring us before and say, look, boys, I'm seeing you as a favor to this third party. I've already seen six people for this job. They've, I've already had the tender documents. Um, I've pretty much made up my mind. But I'm going to give you guys a go because I, you know, I want to give the new guys a go. So he, he saw us. We turned up at um, 3 o'clock for a meeting. He was as drunk as a lord um, when, he, when he, 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 came, he came in. And he used every corporate bullshit phrase. You know, He said, let's run a few ideas up the flagpole and see who salutes and things like that. I mean, he was a typical sales director. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we sat there, and he said, I'm going to give you five minutes, but because he was pretty drunk, um, and we started asking him a few questions, he, he, got on, he got on a roll, and he talked for an hour and a half. We never got a word in, edgeways, and every 10 minutes or so, he goes, but I'm not buying from you guys, okay, I'm not buying, and then he would go on and on and on and on. And my business partner, Justin, he scribbled notes all the way through. Uh, and I asked a few questions and we kept this going, and it became a bit of fun for us. We were thinking, well, you know, it's the only meeting we've got this month. So we might as well, <laughs> we might as well have some fun while we're doing it. And so, so we, uh, we, we were in the middle. So we kept this going about an hour, an hour and a half. We went away and I said to Justin, I said, what are we going to do about that? Is it worth putting in a proposal? And he said, no, nah, it's not worth it. This guy's never going to buy um, from us. And I said, well, we've got to do something, we've got to do something. so we we're not rude. It would be rude not to, you know, to say we're not going to do it. So Justin said, I'll tell you what. Um, and he, he gave all his notes um, to a typing bureau, which was just a couple of streets away. And he asked the, the person there just to type it all up. Um, and he said, just change the tense. So instead of, you know, we want, it's like we will offer. You know, Just change the, the tense. And he did that. And, and we, we checked it for spelling. And we sent it right back to the guy. We put no thought into it. I got a call next day, guys, this is the best proposal (laughs) I have ever read. (laughs) And I learned a really important lesson. The reason you should be talking to your clients, not just emailing them, not just blogging at them. uh, The reason you should be talking to your clients is because they each have their own unique way of describing a problem, and the person they're going to buy from, all other things being equal. Is the person who reflects back their problem to them in their own unique language. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And what that means is, and this is a, another of the big points, you'll, you'll get the way I'm doing that. I'm not very good on PowerPoint. So anything in big and blue, that's a big point. Okay. Um, it's uh it's uh is it, it this that the customer's faith in your product as a solution to their problem is directly proportional to how well they believe you understand their problem. So if you have a problem with your car and there are two mechanics in town and And, you know, the the engine's been knocking a little bit and uh, it's been pinking a a wee bit, it feels a bit rough, the brakes aren't quite working. If you go to one guy and he lifts the bonnet and he has a good look around and he asks you when the engine's knocking and under what conditions the engine is knocking and uh, and what kind of sound is it making and he asks you all of those sorts of um, uh, questions and then says, yeah, I think I can fix it, it's going to cost you $200. And you go to the next guy and he taps the bonnet, he goes, no problem, we're really good at knocking engines, $200. Who are you going to buy from? Who are you going to give the business to? You're going to give the business to the person who you feel understands your problem best, which is why you must talk to your your customers. And whether it's you, the founder, you, the sales guy, you, the customer support, the technical support, you, the programmer who's putting this stuff together when you're at, at events, et cetera, it doesn't matter to me. Because I always believe in the sales function, not the sales person. I think everybody should be selling. Sometimes customers just have a unique perspective of the world. They look at things a little bit differently. If you turn up to sell a beautiful portrait uh, of, a uh, of a woman, and the guy's looking for a saxophonist, you know, um, you've got a, a, a problem. We've got to understand the customer's world um, view. They will view every problem. Uh, slightly, um, slightly differently. The other reason you should be thinking about this seriously is that if I tell you what you're doing wrong, if I come up and say, do you know what the problem is with this software that you're using? It's three years old. Um, It doesn't store your databases in a way that's easily accessible. Um, It goes really slow when you're trying to do more than three things at the same time. And the user interface just isn't in any way intuitive, so you you need to change it. You look at me and you go, "I like it." <laughs> yeah. may not be intuitive to you because you're stupid. <laughs> I uh, I get this. <laughs> you know. You know. And I'd like the fact that it's slow because it gives me a chance to go and get some coffee while the whole thing's booting uh, up. And you know, although it is a bit of those things, I might be comfortable. I might be comfortable uh, with it. If I try and tell you what's wrong, your critical brains, and because you're all very bright people and you're already technically aware, your critical brain kicks in and you push back. You sit and talk to somebody about how they find the interface and what they would prefer, and what they would design into it if they, if they could. And talk to them about the issues of multitasking. And you talk to them about the, um, the, 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 the speed, and you talk to them about uh, access to the database. and yeah, How do you feel? What's your experience? You them, often people will come to the conclusion for themselves that I need to give this another thought. And the moment that light goes on, they're ready to talk to a new Vendor maybe not you maybe a bunch of people you may be in a a race with lots of people But they're willing to talk you cannot tell your way into a a Solution that's unfortunately what a lot of the Franks do You know because they've got too much information, but you can certainly ask your way into a dialogue Or you, you question your way into a dialogue which gets the client to think about their business And the dialogue changes depending on what kind of market sector you see yourself in and one of the things an old client of mine always used to try and try and do he, he was a serial entrepreneur and he always used to say you know you've got to understand your, your, your position in the market and you've got to adjust your sales um, to um, to to suit and you really must understand the dynamics of the market that you're operating in and he always used this little four box model and I still use it when I'm I, I'm advising customers and I'm working with salespeople. Um, and you know down here in the in the bottom of our um, oh, here we go. down here in the bottom of our uh, well our, our, you know your marketplace may be one of those places where there the, the people haven't realized their need for the solution. Yet the, the, the acceptance of the need is low, but smart people in technical um, uh, businesses have said this is going to be the next big thing. And everybody's pumped tons of money into, the, uh, into the, 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 the market. So there's lots of competition, but nobody's buying yet. It's really important that you know what questions to ask in this kind of market. I'll come on to it in a, in a second. If you're up here. And there's an established need. That market down there is a bit like um, the early 3G market, when everybody was putting money into it, and customers were saying, "My phone's fast enough," and you know, I never crossed my mind to, that I really needed to watch YouTube on my phone, and you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, the market caught up. I guess some of the 3D TVs that are out there right now are kind of in this market. Everybody's pumping money in, and there's lots of options, but a lot of us are sitting there going, "Do we really need this?" Up here in the top uh, uh, corner. Um, Is you know the market that many of you may find um, yourself in. It's an established, it's a mature market, and there's lots of competition. In there, I was staggered having breakfast at how many people, how many different companies sell software for churches. I was absolutely staggered. I would have guessed three. But uh, talking to Jeff, it's 40 at least. And that's just the big guys that everybody knows about, plus all the others um, around. It's a crowded marketplace. And what we've got to do is we've got to find out what a customer really wants that's different in that marketplace. Some of you may feel that you're in this kind of a marketplace where you are the lone voice in the desert. You have got yourself um, a, uh, a brilliant product. Um, nobody else has seen the potential for it. Um, But um, nobody really feels they need it either. And maybe the reason there's no competition is because there's no real value um, in the the product, it's a worrying worrying place to be. And hopefully some of you see yourself in the dream segment, where nobody's got it yet, um, and and, uh, you have, and the customers are getting it, and and they're starting to buy it. But the conversations you have with these customers have to change. Give you an an example for the high burn high risk customers. You know they're going to make a choice at some time. So as a founder as a sales guy as a support person. You need to be talking to people about what will drive their ultimate decision. If you want to differentiate yourself from the market. You can't always differentiate by adding stuff to a product. Sometimes it's just about pointing out to customers what you've already got that they didn't realize remember It's their perception of your product that drives the sale not what your product has got For the evangelists It's a bit like a Morpheus moment, you know, you've got to find the blue pill You know that will or the red pill I can never remember which one it is but the way everything will change after after this Absolutely everything will change um, after this. And even with those clients who are in the dream market, we should be talking to them always about the future because stuff changes. And just when you think everything is okay, (laughs) stuff happens in in markets. So, one of the things I do, as I say, I'm more of a sales coach than a sales trainer. I like to work in company. I don't really like the theoretical stuff. What I like to do is get close to companies, go out on the road with their salespeople, talk to their salespeople, listen to their sales calls, you know, try and formulate the sales story, work out what questions um, to ask. And one of, the, one of the things I've been doing this year is I've been getting hold of um, the, the calls that are going out of companies. Um, to clients, or the response to calls that are coming in. I mean, you know, many people now take them as a, a, a matter of uh, as a matter of um, course. And I've been I've been getting that information. I was thinking, well, if dialogue is so important to a business, if understanding what your customer really wants is so important to a business, then surely salespeople who've been trained in this stuff for years will be really good at it, won't they? So I tried to measure the quality of dialogue and I took it was a very long rainy weekend in Yorkshire but I took 300 calls that I I had on my my database and I thought right well what do I do with these how do I measure the quality of the dialogue that's going on. Well at first I thought well maybe you can look at the length of a call as an indication the longer somebody's talking to a customer the more quality that's going on there but actually that doesn't work because some people just have some uniquely brilliant ways of boring their clients over a long period of time. And it doesn't really tell me about the quality of the the, 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 the dialogue. And so I thought, well, maybe if I look into the CRM systems, um, I can find a, you know which whoever's got the best populated CRM um, records in Salesforce or goldmine or whatever then surely they'll be the people who've got the best dialogue going on in their, in, in their, their business who really understand the, their customers but again some people will write you know 400 words telling you that they couldn't get through to the decision-maker um, and, and one guy literally wrote um, uh, deal done hundred thousand and that was his entire input into the. Well, that's useful. Thank you very much. You know, <laughs> that really tells just a great insight to what the customer values and why they they, uh, they 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 value. So what I did, what I thought was an interesting indicator, was that I had to sit through 300 calls. So you know, it was a, it was a tough weekend Um, I I tried to work out you know to to indicate the quality of dialogue from from the moment that we call a customer there's the usual hellos or whatever the customer calls in hi how are you and you have the little small talk from the moment the small talks over to the moment that the salesperson starts talking about themselves or the product so there's a little intervening gap where the salesperson every salesperson is trained to talk to the customer about the customer 47 seconds was the average length of time between the small talk finishing and the let me tell you a little bit about our product let me tell you a little bit about our company now that is really poor and i looked into the reasons i mean you know when you think about it can you imagine doing that on a date <laughs> how successful would you be for <laughs> so a couple of people going oh going wrong. <laughs> But it's no time. It's no time at all. And what happens is, when people go into sales mode, they start thinking about, because they're a bit nervous talking to the customer, they go a bit closed. And what they want to do is ask a couple of questions. And then they want to tell them stuff. They want to show them stuff. They want to push them into a demo. Can, can I get one of our technical guys to come and demo you? And they're not really thinking at all about the customer experience. And here's the big thing. If you can get the people who talk to customers to just be a bit better than at asking the appropriate questions. You are going to be a lot better than everybody else out there in the market. place. you will surprise a lot of your customers because you'll be showing more interest um, in them. And I always think that when you start talking about, excuse me, what we know about customers, we end up with this kind of really basic little stick man. You know, what do we know about a customer? I know he's in Delaware. I know um, he has bought X product in the past. Um, I know he buys on a Thursday. I know, you know, so we know a lot of functional stuff about our customers. And and we've often usually bundled them together into some kind of um, profile. But often it's little more than this kind of a basic sketch. And that hard data, the obvious stuff, it's easy to capture. You guys just do it like that, and and it's dead easy to capture. What's much more difficult to capture is what I call the DNA. You, if you, if you can capture a customer's DNA. This is the other thing that happens at conferences. People start presenting on things, you know, using the same titles like DNA and meaning something entirely different. Um, but um, that what I'm talking, I'm very, I've got a very specific. I'm talking about drivers' needs and aspirations. The more you know about why people choose one solution over another the better place you are to do something about it. Now whether that information comes from your tech support guys, your sales guys, your Franks, you, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that it's in your culture to talk to customers and to talk to them intelligently and to talk to them at depth and to show a passionate interest in um, in what they're doing. And so, when we start building a a, a picture of this, we can move from the stick man, you know, we know where they are, we know what they buy, we know, you know, to something that's maybe a bit more like a kind of weird CGI photo fit um, thing, you know, eventually to the realization that the person who's buying the software is a real person who's got a real problem that's very specific to them. And this is my one worry about automating all of this, what you get at best is the CGI version. It's so only by talking to customers that you get the context. You get the, un- you get the understanding of why. Now, if you're in enterprise software or what's loosely termed enterprise software, then you should be doing this all the time. But even if you're selling $100 software um, that people download and there's a, it's a very light touch business, I would really recommend that you go and ring up At least every year, you take some time out, and you take 50 of the people who bought from you, and 50 of the people who didn't buy from you, and you email them. You say, "Can I make an appointment to just find out your opinion on?" And you'll be surprised how many of them will go, "Yeah, fine," because it doesn't happen that often um, to them. And the stuff you find out will change not only your view of what you're doing, but it will change their view of you as a as a business. So. We start with the needs. I know I said DNA, and I'm starting with the needs. It's just that NDA sounded like a government department, and DNA sounded much more, more cool. So uh, we start with the needs. Make it, I, this is, if you take nothing else away from this, from this talk, take this list down, or I'll stick this up on um, SlideShare. Slide but make it, make it central to your conversations. Have a checklist for what I need to know. Have an information target for what i need to know about my customers and you know when customers call uh, when customers uh, call or we or we call them We're having a conversation, first of all, about what I need. I'm only talking to you as a customer because you've got a need, because you need a database, because you need um, an accountancy tool, uh, you need need, um, a CRM uh, tool. Yeah, I'm talking to you because you you, you need that. So we've got to have a clear idea of the functions that are important to them. This saves us doing the long, boring demos. Only show them the stuff they're interested in. We need to understand when they need it. Sometimes customers will buy inferior products because they're available now rather than wait for something that's better because my problem hurts now. So you don't always have to be the biggest, best, you know, cheapest in the market. Sometimes time scales a driver. Um, Customers are almost always concerned about scalability. How many people are likely to use this? How many people now in three months time in six months time in 12 months time? I'm always staggered by the number of people who are just happy to take a deal and go, yay, we made $2,000. You go, well, who else could use it in that business? And is that business growing? Is that customer business growing? And what are they doing with their developer team? And what other de- projects are they running? Oh, I don't know. So it's $2,000 and nothing that you've got there. Integration is always a big issue on functionality. How will this fit in with the other systems that we, that we have here? So what other systems are you, are you running? Um, budget has to come into it. You know what, what kind of resource, and then the result that they're after. Now, result and function are different, and sometimes just the I've seen sales where just because someone has talked about the result that they're after, rather than the function that they're after, um, it makes a difference to the client's perception of how well they've been consulted. And a silly little example is just that e-readers are, are, have been, you know, huge this this this, this year. Um, and you know I, I bought uh, a Kindle um, the, the other day. <laughs> I bought an iPod but my kids now have the iPod So I'm left with the Kindle and um, I, and uh, iPad rather and uh, 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 You know the, the function of the the of the Kindle that I'm look, that I'm looking for you know is it's, it you know It's small it's page turn. It's the weight. It's all of those kind of things We're not going to get into a debate about which is best or anything like that um, But I've got I've got an idea of the function, but the the result that I'm looking for the result I'm looking for it may be different from you, but the result I'm looking for is simply this: it's space. I've moved five, house five times in my adult life, each time to a slightly bigger house. Each time I have filled it with books, and I'm now I can't I can't afford another bigger house um, <laughs> now, and I hate throwing books away. So I made up my mind, you know that that's what. I, And when I travel, I don't want to have four books in my bag. I want to, you know. It's, uh, Thanks for the books, by the way, Neil. <laughs> <It's>, uh <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. so, so the result because sometimes just talking to people, not about the function, but about the result, is really key. It makes you stick in their minds. We talked about this slide. This is three slides from last year. Um, remember we talked about drivers? We said there's always a need behind a need. I may want certain function, and I may want it in a certain Affordability range and I may want it to produce a specific result, but people also have these drivers these needs behind um, Needs and it's really important that as you're talking to people you build a picture of these now I have never met a customer yet who said Paul. I'm just warning you now. I'm going to be mostly a a belonging buyer um, uh, with a little bit of ease and convenience in there you know, they, don't do, they don't do that. But the more you talk to your customers, the more you form a judgment, a picture of them. And this is where the artistry comes in. Because as you're talking to a customer, they start to say things like, well, who else is using this product? And if you sold this product to, um, uh, to uh, General Motors, um, what are they doing with them? What do they think about it? And how long are they have? Now that's a, custo- that's a security buyer all over. But until you've had that conversation, you don't get that context. You know, what's new and different and whizzy? What's going to make me look good? You know, those kind of conversations. Oh, it's an ego buyer. Now, people will never tell you because they don't really know. They've never labeled this stuff. But you will form a very quick picture only if you're talking to these people. So everybody's got a different DNA. Or a different, a different need behind the knee. And then finally, um, on this is the aspirations. Everybody who buys stuff they've got certain needs they've got certain needs behind needs drivers that we talk about and they've also got aspirations. And sometimes when I can't really make a make a choice between the functionality of a product etc. I will buy the product that fits in best with my aspirations for my project for my team for my organization for me for me personally. So talking about people's projects, asking them questions about their projects six months down the line, 12 months down the line, is really important. But it's more than just asking questions. You can annoy the crap out of customers by asking them a long list of meaningless questions. That's a frank strategy. Okay. Yeah, we've got to do something that's a bit more, um, a bit more Um, interesting so here's some in my last ten minutes some really important guidelines for creating a better dialogue with your um, clients okay first thing just do it okay (laughs) I was inspired by Molly the bear but you know what's even better than Molly the bear talk to the customer because actually, even Molly the Bear is slightly fallible. Sorry, Damesh, if you're here. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's slightly fallible. Because what we'll start to do is we'll start to transpose our own perceptions of what the customer wants onto Molly the Bear. Talk to the, talk to the, 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 the customers. If you are serious about building a high-value, customer-focused organization, you cannot do it without having some high-value customer-focused conversations going on. So build it into your strategy. If you don't have a sales team, set aside some time. Make sure you target yourself 50, 100, 200 customers over three months, six months, a year. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It'll be different for every, every one of you. But put it into your plan. Because if you don't, you've got a, you've got, um, you'll be making decisions based on assumptions. The second rule is selfless questioning. Now, what I mean by this, selfless questioning is a bit like building a jigsaw. Your aim is to build a picture of what the customer really wants, rather than just fishing for them to say something so that you can launch into your sale, okay? Again, that's Frank's strategy number two. You know, um, the the, the traditional sales strategy is ask a few questions, and as soon as the client says, scalability is really important. Ah, I'm glad you said scalability is important. And then off you go on a scalability rant. You know, um, and the client may be thinking, well, it was kind of important, but there was some other stuff that's much more important. And yeah, you've just hammered them with the scalability, All right? Your aim, what, what great salespeople do, the very best I've ever, that I've ever met, what they're really good at is just keeping questioning, keeping questioning, keeping questioning, to build a picture of what the customer really wants. Safe in the knowledge that they will either be able to provide it, Or if they can't provide it, they will learn something valuable about the customer. And just because they've got that relationship, they can say to the customer, do you know what, we don't do this yet. Or do you know what, a lot of people ask for that, but we do something different that does get you the same utility. You can have a conversation um, about that. Selfish questioning is hunting for the, the red button. When I first went into sales, somebody said, you've got to look for the hot button, and you find the hot button, and you zero in on that, and you sell on that, what a load of crap. You know, uh, you must build a picture and trust yourself, because you put all this thought into developing your product. Trust yourself; the solution is is there. The more you talk to them selflessly, the more people open up to you. If they feel they're being led down the garden path, that they ask you know what I call politician-style questions. Excuse me, sir, um, are you worried about crime in your area? You know, it's, oh, yeah, yes, I'm worried about crime in my area. You know, do you think there should be better policing? Yes, I think there should be better policing. You know, well, vote for, you know, that, that kind of thing. You feel like you're being led down the, led down the, the, the garden path. That's not selfless questioning. That's frank questioning. Sel, uh, selfless questioning is who, what, where, when, why. It's wide open questioning. It's curious. It's what I call appreciative curiosity. Your clients are the most interesting people you'll ever meet. Have a questioning strategy. Don't just talk to people about, don't just dive in there. Because there's sometimes it's easier to talk about certain stuff first. What great salespeople do, is they create this kind of funnel. And they talk to customers about the stuff that's easy to talk to them about. When you guys all meet out here, even though you tell me you're introverts and you don't really like people and da, 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 all that, stuff, everybody has a conversation. So where do you work? What are you doing? You know, How did you get here? Were you here last year? You know, And you have these kind of conversations that start with easy stuff. Well, for you guys, the easy stuff is to talk to people about their inquiry or their download first, and talk to them about what prompted them to download the product. I know this is kind of obvious, but you'd be surprised how Little of it goes on, and once somebody's talked about that stuff, it's kind of easier for them to talk about the business they're in and the project they're working on. If you ring up, a, if you ring up somebody out of the blue and say, "So, what business are you in, and what projects are you working on?" Screw you. I'm not talking. I'm not telling you. But talk to somebody. You know, you've made this download. Um, I see you've made. I, I see you've downloaded the the version with X Y functionality. Can I tell you what? What? Can I ask you what? Um, What encourage you to bring down what's been your experience so far. How useful is it being all of that kind of stuff is really uh, really important. Then talk about utility. What do you really want from this and what people tell you they want in writing is always different than what people tell you they want when you talk to them because you can hear the doubt in the go. Well, I think I need um, some extra capability on And and that does that mean they want it or not now if you're talking to people you can dig in on on that. Talk to them about their options. Talk to them about, well, what have you considered? What have you tried? What's worked? What's not worked? Customers love talking about that stuff. And it's great when they start slagging off your competition, you know, and you don't have to say anything. You just have to listen sympathetically. Um, Talk to them about the things they value. Talk to them about... You know, Some people are nervous about entering into new partnerships, particularly on the enterprise end of the, of the of software, because it's not just the software I'm buying, it's the whole package, it's the company, it's the relationship. So talk to them about their best experiences, as well as the ones that they're not so happy with. And only when you've done all of that, talk to them about budget. There's a natural flow to a sales, dia- to a sales dialogue, and you'd be surprised how few people do it. Technical people want to go straight into the utility. And it's really tough to talk about utility until I feel I trust you, until I feel there's a rapport. And if you're going to ask simple, direct questions, listen to the answer. Here's two reasons the two most common reasons why people don't listen. Number one is a thing called flare up, just listening to the client and they say something which you know you can sell on and all you can think about is the one point that you want to tell them now because you do something really cool in that and you stop listening to them. And the other thing is assumptions. You've been talking to clients all day and you start to think you know what they're going to say. There used to be a trick an old teacher used to do, she used to ask this question and when we were kids. She used to say, okay children, um, you know, in the Old Testament, tells a story of how God became angry with man and sent a great flood to, um, to, to punish him. And, you know, my question to you is how many of each species of animal did Moses take onto the ark? Two, miss! You know, and of course, it wasn't Moses, it was Noah. You know, we stopped, list- we stopped listening. You know, and a lot of technical people, particularly, because you think quickly and you think in terms of focused problem solving uh, uh, and solutions. That, that 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 stops us listening right to the end. Take a chill pill and listen. Listen non-judgmentally. Hardwire the dialogue habit into your culture. If you, if you only focus your salespeople, this is for those of you who are hiring salespeople, this is another mini rant I'm going to have as I close up. If you only focus your salespeople on revenue, they will only ask questions that link directly to some revenue that they can earn now. I think we can expect more of salespeople. I think that what we can do is almost like a balanced scorecard, if you like. I think we can target salespeople on revenue, and I'm not decrying the importance of it. I'm also a red-blooded capitalist. Um, but, I, but we can target them on feedback, target them on the quality of stuff that's going into your CRM. Do we get the DNA? Do we capture it? Because if you don't get a sale now, if you understand that stuff, you can go back when your product is ready. Target them on growth of the, of, of the, the clients laterally and longitudinally and target them on things like loyalty and even as inspired. I've added Chi there, um, you know, uh, go and go and get the software from Darmish and, and target them on how happy they are because, because when somebody buys from you, they're not just buying the product, they're buying the entire experience. And the customer happiness index is impacted by the quality of experience. And if you guys are good people to talk to, if you're interested, if it's easy rapport, then I'm a better, I have a better experience overall. And build the DNA, DNA into your CRM system. One simple thing you can do. Every time your salespeople come off the phone or when you have your weekly roundups or whatever, talk to your salespeople or your tech support or whoever's talking to the customer, talk to them about what they've learned about the customer. When somebody comes off the phone and goes, I've had this great deal. You know, I'm talking to this guy. He's really, really interested. Is he really? What kind of a buyer do you think he or she is? You know what needs? Let's break down the needs. What have you uncovered? Um, What do you know and what are you getting? Um, on that. What do they want to do with this product in a year's time? Have you had that conversation? And if you ask that all the time, the law of reinforcement kicks in and people start to do it. And when the time comes to hire a sales team, don't hire a Frank. Okay. My one piece of advice, and I said this in 2008 when I was stood here, if you want to hire a salesperson, hire the person who asks the most interesting questions, not the person who delivers the, the best pitch. I've covered all of this stuff, and some of you are undoubtedly thinking, "What the hell has this got to do with 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 me? I'm not the salesperson." But I'm going to just finish with this: you are the salesperson, and you have this these three little words, the founder's advantage, really matter. You can get through to customers and talk to them in a way that no salesperson you ever hire will be able to do it, because you're the founder, you're the problem solver. Nobody will match your knowledge of the um, product. And there's just something cool about talking to founders. Thanks for listening to the
0: Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org. If you are enjoying the podcast and would like to receive new boss talks and articles direct to your inbox, why not sign up for the boss newsletter? A free regular email jam-packed with boss goodness. Sign up now at businessofsoftware.org/updates.